You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Happy Easter, Redemption. Did y'all know that Jesus is risen? Yeah. So uh, it's hard to know what the appropriate response to that is, right? If this is a historical event, and it is, that Jesus is risen, like, how do you respond to that? I, I know we, we have like the, the liturgical, he's risen, he's risen indeed, the call and response. But like, more significantly, if Jesus is risen, like, what in the world do we do about it? How in the world do we respond? Biblically speaking, apparently the appropriate response is trembling and ecstasy. That sounds weird. Let me read. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, And Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might come and anoint him. Right, if if you haven't been present for previous episodes of the Gospel of Mark, what has happened is there's this guy named Jesus. Um, Apparently, he's God in the flesh. Apparently, he's Lord of all. He's been gathering and amassing a group of followers. He's been performing wild miracles, casting out demons, telling them that this is his world, not theirs. Then he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm not going to be dead anymore. Now he's been dead for three days, and we pick up the scene in motion. Very early on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, So you you guys realize that like the whole of the world calendar changed because of this event. Like Sunday was a work day. Sunday was the first day of the week. You get up, you go to work. Sunday was not worship day. Christians didn't start worshiping on Sunday because we were arguing with Jewish folks about when Sabbath was. It's not because we're confused. We're like, no, 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 Sabbath isn't Saturday. Sabbath is Sunday. No, like, I, I don't know why, but somehow, like, I had kind of picked up uh, that up as a kid, and I just completely misunderstood that, no, the reason Christians worship on Sunday isn't because they think Sunday is the Sabbath. It's because they know that, that Sunday is the first day of new creation, that Sunday Sunday is resurrection day. And see, even when it was a work day in the first century, Christians started gathering every Sunday morning saying, I can't believe what happened on that Sunday morning. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb, right? So they, they know that Jesus is dead. They didn't have time to give him a proper burial because he died late Friday afternoon, right as the Sabbath was beginning. So they stuck him in a wormhole and waited a couple of days. Now, when the sun has risen on Sunday morning, Sabbath is officially over. They've returned with their spices to anoint the body of their dead Lord. This is always the hardest part of the Easter message for me because I am a little like amped up 
right? Some of you guys have had some mimosas. Uh, you've had some pastries, and I have had zero mimosas. Didn't figure that would be good for uh, my uh, preaching prospects. Um, but there, there is something so celebratory about today that it's a little hard to remember that when the day started, Jesus was in a grave. That, that these women have just encountered the longest day in their lives. Because it's a dead one, uh, it's a loved one who's dead, but it's not just a loved one. Like a loved one being dead is horrific. This was horrific. And it was even more than that because this loved one is apparently and supposedly and claimed to be the Lord of, of all things. He claimed to be the creator who spoke existence into being. Like, we don't even have words for what he did. And then suddenly he's, he's gone. And in that intervening darkness and quiet, you have to think that not only are they feeling the pain of loss and the grief of having seen something so unjust happen to their beloved by the state with religious approval, nailed up and executed, naked, mocked, and shamed. Beyond the travesty of all of that, now this man who had taught them his ethics, his way, his way of thinking about the world, his way of doing things, who had told them, hey, I know it sounds crazy, but I invite you to live your life upside down. It's not all about the power. Don't fight for the power. Don't seize the power. Don't take the power. Don't uh, elevate yourself into power. Instead, the way up is the way down. Instead, the right way up is really upside down. Instead, things are entirely backwards from the way that you've ever thought the world should work or did work. My way is better. My way is more powerful. My way is truer than the way that dominates the entire world around you. And in this intervening period, not only are they grieving this man whom they loved, Jesus, this lover of their souls, they're also beginning to question their entire way of life. Is self-giving, humble love really the way or is it not? Is emptying of ourselves, is kneeling and humbling ourselves, even humiliating ourselves, is this the way or not? And they exist in this dread and in this drama for so long and they show up to Jesus' grave anyway with the spices, with the preparation, anticipating that what they are about to do is touch the cold, lifeless flesh of their Jesus. Man, that Stone's going to be heavy. How are we even going to get in? But then verse 4, looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, one of the angels, young man, scare quotes, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. 
Right, this, this sounds like such a, like office kind of like stupid comedy. They were amazed, don't be amazed. You're looking for the guy who was crucified, right? Like the guy that they hung up? And they're, they're like, yeah, we know what happened. We were there. We're the only ones who didn't flee from Jesus. Like as he was being tried, we were there. Johnny Cash. It, that actually is not a Johnny Cash song. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? It's an old gospel thing, but I know it because of Johnny Cash. Anyway, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who's been crucified. Yep, we are. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. You're in the right spot. This is where he was. A couple hours ago, his body was here, but you just missed him. He ran out. And like the absurdity of this is hard to fathom. It's like hard to make sense of. So much so that like there, there's a, a lot of tradition that's like, well, the real miracle is that Jesus lives on in our hearts because it's so like mind-blowing and so impossible that a person would ever come back from the dead. It literally does not happen. It cannot happen. It will not happen. It does not happen. It's against every law of nature and rightness and expectation and anything we've ever seen. He was dead. He was lifeless. There was no blood beating through his heart. There was no electricity firing in his his brains. There was no breath in his lungs. He was dead, but you just missed him. He just left. But go, tell his disciples, even Peter, Peter's one who had rejected him and denied him three times in front of the little girl at the fire pit the night before, Go and tell them he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but he called a shot and then rose from the dead, which is like uh, even more amazing, but it's hard to be even more amazed when this thing is so amazing that we don't even know what to make sense of it. So the angel is there. He's like, yeah, I know you're looking for the, for the dead guy. You're in the right spot. I promise he was right there. You can look. You can see he's not there anymore. Go tell his disciples that he's doing exactly what he told them he was going to do. So when the angel tells these women to go, verse 8, they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And the gospel of Mark ends. Okay, so one quick aside. Um, if, you, if you're reading in like a paper Bible, you'll see the verses 9 through, I don't know, whatever else, there's a bunch of brackets around, and you'll see that there, are, there, there is Mark 16, verse 9. I'm not reading it because it doesn't belong in the gospel of Mark. This is a later edition, we can tell from the manuscripts, that it's like there but not there. Because this cliffhanger ending, everybody's like, what do we do with this? And so what, what, what scribes did is they were copying this. They would sometimes make notes in the margin and be like, uh, what the heck? Like, this, this is really the end? And Mark's like, yeah, this is really the end. This is it. And so over the years, like they added some some summary statements saying, well, and after this, they went and they told Peter and they told the other apostles, but they didn't believe him until Jesus showed up and he told them too. And he appeared for 40 days and then he eventually ascended into heaven. And And the rest of the story that we know, it's not that the rest of Mark is wrong. It's just that the rest of Mark doesn't belong in Mark. It's not written by Mark. It's not there until a couple of centuries later. Mark ends at verse eight here. Here's the reason that I find that uh, so helpful this morning. Because the gospel of Mark ends with these women who are trembling and astonished. Now, we think it ends with them not saying anything to anyone. That The angel has said, go and tell, and it's like them saying, nope, I'm not gonna go and tell. 
I'm too afraid. And, and we like have some of these debates about, well, did they not tell or did they tell? Apparently, Matthew and Luke and John all knew that they told. The whole story of the Christian witness rests on the fact that they did, in fact, tell. And probably there would no, be nobody around to read Mark's gospel if these women hadn't told. Right? We wouldn't be telling the story of Jesus if these women hadn't gone and told, here's what happened to me when I showed up at the tomb of Jesus. We wouldn't know what happened. Like, he says they didn't tell, but apparently they told. But so, so it can't mean that, he told, that they told no one. Instead, what it means is they ran off. They didn't even stop to like tell their mom on the way. They ran. As soon as the angel said, go, they went. As soon as the angel said, Jesus is headed out in front of you, they're like, if resurrection is true, then oh my word. And they dropped everything and they ran. They left the spices. They left their old lives. They left everything behind and they ran. They fled this place. And by the way, they, get, they did in fact go and tell Peter and the rest of the disciples. But more than any of that, what, what I want to personally, I, I started to say meditate on, except meditate is way too soft. What I want to be like exploded by this morning, what, what I want to be confronted by this morning is the same thing that I want to confront you. And it's, it's these two words, trembling and astonishment. Although I don't like the word astonish because you know what the Greek word here is? You don't have to know. The Greek word here is ecstasy. In trembling and ecstasy, they were gripped. They were seized in this moment with overwhelming, oh my God. Like, this is the one time you can say that phrase without people looking at you weird because, like, no, literally, this is not in vain. This is absolutely, oh my God, worship this God. This is something real and true and powerful and oh my word. So what, what, what I want to personally be confronted with more than meditate on is this idea of trembling and ecstasy. If revelation, if this revelation is true, if resurrection is true, if Jesus is risen, and our response is, he's risen indeed. Amen. Happy Easter. We just kind of go about our days and we have some donuts and we have some mosas and we have some food truck and we enjoy each other's company. That's fine. I'm not against that. I'm not that much of a curmudgeon. But, but the appropriate response to Jesus is risen is trembling and ecstasy. Now, the weird thing about this word ecstasy is it is this like out-of-body experience. It's ecstatic. It's standing outside oneself. It is this, oh my word, I am paralyzed and caught up in this like losing my mind situation. If the resurrection of Jesus is true and we are brought face-to-face with the resurrection of Jesus, if we are confronted with this reality, the only appropriate response is to lose your mind. Which is why it's so awesome that this is exactly what the women did. And the point of the end of Mark isn't, well, I told them to tell and they didn't tell. Are you going to tell? No, the point of Mark is I told them to tell and they ran off because they had lost your minds. Are you also losing your minds? Do you understand anything about what they understood in this moment? Because what happened in this moment was not possible. More than that, what happened in this moment told them something powerful about the nature of reality itself. So what I want to do with the couple of minutes that we have before we actually get to baptisms here is I want to think and be confronted with the 
oh my word, lose my mind, come into confrontation with trembling and ecstasy resurrection of Jesus. I wonder why they reacted this way. Maybe because, oh my word, he's, he's, he's alive? Like, I, 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 you know, like, drop a couple of expletives here. He's alive? Like, what? He's, he's alive? What? Like, they're losing their minds because dead people don't rise. Go, and they run. He's already going. Okay, then I'm going to beat him there. They're headed to meet Jesus just like they've been instructed. They're heading to tell all of his friends just like they were instructed. They're trembling and ecstatic just like any sane person would be when they realized it was the beginning of a brand new world. That the things that used to hold, the things that used to pertain, the things that used to be true about this reality had completely changed. That somehow something in the fabric of the universe was different on this Sunday morning than it had been on Saturday or ever before in the history of the cosmos. Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy. Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy because this one who is alive is the one who claimed to be God and then was crucified. And oh my word, the crucified God is the God who lives. If you were here last week, you know that I could rant at you for at least an hour about this. But I won't today. This divine one who made all things, who upholds all things, isn't just powerful, isn't just brilliant, isn't just radiant, isn't just like all of these things. The one who is all of those, these things is the crucified God, the upside down God, the self-emptying God, the overcome God, the conquered God. And, he, and he's risen, so somehow the conquering happens exactly by being conquered. Somehow, his flex isn't that he dominates you, but he allows you to dominate him and then somehow wins anyway. Somehow, it's not that he escaped death, but was com like completely defeated by death and defeated death and being defeated by death in this like mind-blowing way. Somehow, the crucified God is the only God who is. Jesus is risen, fear and trembling, this one who is alive is also our beloved Jesus. I thought he was dead. I was swallowed in grief. Jesus is risen, and the one who is the lover of my soul is here. He lives. More than that, Jesus is risen, fear and trembling and ecstasy, precisely because this Jesus who loves my soul, whom I know, who has been teaching me all these things about this new world and this new way of doing things, he apparently was right. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the, oh my word, he's right. The way of Jesus works. Humble love that cost him everything. Humble love is in fact powerful. Humble love that looked like it was powerless a day before. Humble love is in fact the most powerful thing in the entire universe. Humble love has been the thing that has defeated death itself. The undefeated, undefeatable, inimitable enemy that is death. Humble love, this weak, tiny, insignificant thing that we look down on with derision. Oh, look how sweet, humble love. In the face of the Roman Empire, 
In the face of Torah, in the face of all these things, humble love, yeah, that's sweet. Humble love, in fact, rules and reigns and has beaten all of these things. Jesus is risen, trembling in ecstasy because Jesus wins and Jesus is king, and Jesus is now exalted and victorious. His power and goodness are not overcome. Death cannot win, does not win, did not win. Humility and sacrifice, on the other hand, cannot lose. This is what the New Testament means when it later on says that all the enemies that confront us are being put to death. Darkness itself is dying. Death itself is the last enemy to be defeated. This is why the earliest Christians looked on death with derision. It's not that they love death. It's not that they redefine death. Well, he's dead, but you know, it's not really dead. He's in the presence of Jesus in heaven. No, no, they were looking forward with such certainty to actual resurrection because of actual resurrection of Jesus. Actual resurrection of this one man guarantees actual resurrection for all of us. So all of the early church Christians who heard this and said, oh my word, Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy said, wait, I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. I don't have to be afraid of poverty and starvation anymore. Wait, the only thing that anyone has ever used to control me in my entire life was my fear of starving to death. And suddenly, all of the enemies of the entire cosmos have been stripped and emptied and put up naked in shame as the truly powerless ones. When death has no more power, what enemy might we have? They indignantly despised death, realizing that resurrection was inevitable. All the rulers and authorities of this present realm have been exposed as weak and defeated and nothing like our risen Christ. More than that, all legalism, all religion, all perfection, all concepts of you better do better or else, even that has been exposed and emptied and hung up to shame in the death of Jesus. Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy. The crucified God is the only God. Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy. Wait, the God who was supposed to kill us has instead died on our behalf, trembling and ecstasy. Jesus is risen. The God who apparently had so much wrath for us doesn't have wrath for us, but took it on himself, trembling and ecstasy. The one who we thought was going to judge us has himself been judged, trembling and ecstasy. The one who is the only right one was condemned and cursed by the law itself, by the Old Testament, trembling and ecstasy. No more law? Trembling and ecstasy. No more sin, but true forgiveness and redemption and welcome into the arms of the God of love who is the crucified God who continues to live and reign and demonstrate his power. Jesus is risen, trembling and ecstasy. So these women are there their spices, anticipating this grievous task of rolling away the stone that's too big for them to move, 
possibly having a fight with some guards who don't know what they're doing and don't like Jesus and don't like Jesus' followers much and have been given strict orders not to let anyone mess with the body. And they show up in fear and trembling and he's not there. And they lose their minds contemplating all that Jesus has taught them and all that this might mean for the rewiring of the world. On this first day of the week, on this first day of a new creation, on the very first day, suddenly the creator of all is back alive. Suddenly the creator of all is bringing shalom for all and communion to all because this one is truly and really alive the same way that he promised he would make all of his followers alive. Somehow this one who, that we were worried, does he really have authority to grant us life? Does he really have the power to give us life, and suddenly he has been the one who has defeated death. He has been the one who said he was going to die for us, and we never really knew what to make of that, because we weren't sure what good a dead Savior was, but apparently the dead Savior didn't stay dead, and the dead Savior had, had life so stitched into his being that he got up and then he conquered, and then he offered all of that life to the rest of us. This first day of new creation, I wonder if these women in this moment understood that this, uh, that this life of Jesus meant that there was going to be life for them as well. Shalom for all, communion to all, heaven coming to earth, and that being a beautiful, wonderful, fantastically good thing. Jesus is risen, fear and trembling, because now not only is Jesus a resurrected person, but we are resurrection people. Fear and trembling in this moment for the fear, fear uh, trembling and ecstasy in this moment. It's not Kierkegaard, it's Mark. Uh, trembling and ecstasy in this moment because they start to realize that their entire lives are going to be different. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical claim about the past that on a certain day in the 30s AD, there was a, a dude who was dead who told us that he wasn't going to stay dead long, and then it turned out he was right. This is a historical claim, and yet it's not only a, a, a claim about past history, it's also a claim about future history, about actual reality, about things that are going to happen in this present reality, in this actual world. This is a claim on ethics and who's right and what true power really is and what is to come. This is a claim that will eventually bring spiritual union and liberation and new purpose and new community and new family as all of us begin to realize, oh my word, this resurrected person has made us resurrection people. I wonder if in this moment, in fleeing from the tomb, as they're starting to process and they just lose their minds, they're starting to think and realize just in the tiniest bit, just the tiniest breaking of the dawning on them, this is going to change their lives forever and ever and ever. Not just a few more decades that they had ahead of them in that moment, but the eons and eons ahead of them as they consider that they themselves will also be resurrected, that they are in fact resurrection people. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Jesus is risen. No, 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 not he's risen indeed. You say that. Like, don't stop saying that because some weird preacher told you one time not to. Jesus is risen, trembling in ecstasy. 
this has more implications than we could ever fathom. That this, wait, this, this means everything. Trembling in ecstasy. What other response should there be if Jesus is risen? Trembling in ecstasy. May my response be nothing less. So over the next couple of minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to bring Mike and Henry up on stage. Um, and Mike's going to tell you a little story about Henry. And we're going to baptize the first kid that we've ever baptized at Redemption. Um, now, yes, absolutely. So a couple, a couple um, points of coaching. Um, one is when he comes up out of that water, like the two whoops that we got, like I better have like every voice in the, in the building doing that. You, you know what Jesus says that um, when one person comes back to God that the angels in the heavens celebrate and hoot and holler? And if the angels in the heavens can celebrate and hoot and holler at a baptism, then certainly we can too. So we are going to throw an appropriate party with our voices and then afterwards as we celebrate and have the food truck and have maybe more mimosas or whatever else is left, right? We are going to hoot and holler and appropriately celebrate. Um, but just let me, let me remind you one more time what is, what is happening for Henry here as he declares his faith in Jesus. Um, it's, it's not that uh, at the end of all things, Jesus is going to show up and say, Henry, when was the date and time? Is it notarized? Did you like, right? That, that's not what happens. What, what Henry is entering into and continuing on in this moment is a spiritual journey of awakening, of being made new, of being stitched together with Jesus in a powerful and real way. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. He says, do you know that everyone who's been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death. This is the reason that early Christians started doing baptisms on Easter and every year except pandemic years, we've always done baptisms on Easter. Don't you know that if you're baptized into Jesus, you're baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we are united together in a death like his, we also will be united together in a resurrection like his. You see, Paul was convinced of what I'm convinced of, which is the reason I think I'm convinced of it. But anyway, Paul was convinced that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus didn't just matter for Jesus. They didn't just matter for historical accuracy. What Paul was convinced of was somehow the immense, mind-blowing power that was at work in the body and person of Jesus at resurrection was being offered to every single person here. What we're anticipating and celebrating and praying happens in this moment for Henry is that he is stitched to Jesus, permanently bonded to Jesus, glued to Jesus, so much so that whatever happens to Henry in the future happens to Jesus. And whatever happens to Jesus in the future 
happens to Henry. Henry is being baptized into the death of Jesus so that Henry will be, be raised together with Jesus in actual, powerful, physical, glorious resurrection. Mike and Henry, let's celebrate. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.